Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back to another episode of Israel Unplugged. This is Josh Wander from Yerushalayim, Ir HaKodesh. I'm here with my co-host, Rabbi Moshe Lichtman of Beit Shemesh. Yes, hello, hello. Good for you. Good to speak to you with you again. I'm glad you all joined us, and we have a interesting show lined up for you again today, and we hope you enjoy it. Israel Unplugged is where you get the unadulterated facts of where we're holding in the redemptive process, focusing primarily on the in-gathering of the exiles. We are a live show, and uh, therefore we encourage you to call in. If you are on the way to the airport in North America, the number is 301-768-4841, 301-768-4841. And if you're fortunate enough to be here in the land of Israel, as millions of tourists are already here and people that are uh, have made Aliyah, then uh, the number is 02650-0151. That's 02650-0151. We also want to encourage you to visit our websites. Uh, you can visit our website to bring them home organization at itstimetoleave.com. And you can visit Rabbi Lichtman's website at toratzion.com, toratzion.com. There you can find uh, all of his books and programs, and uh, and please uh, please visit the sites. So, meanwhile, um, we're going to be talking today. I'm going to start the conversation with what I find to be an interest an interesting phenomena that's happening in the world, and that is uh, the two mo- largest economies in the world. That being the economy of the United States and the economy of China are on the verge of collapse. Either one of them uh, could go, and that would probably bring down the other one, as well as most other economies throughout the world. Uh, This is huge news, because if you, uh, like I, live in the world, which which we are dependent on salaries and depending on money, then uh, there's no way of surviving, and it's never been seen in, in modern days, to have a global... Uh, collapse of economies. And uh, this is something that should be very, very uh, frightening, although I'm not trying to be a fear monger, but this should be something that should be of great concern for especially Jews that are living outside of Israel. Why? Why does this make a difference if you're in Israel or not in Israel, whether you're Jewish or not? Well, first of all, I would make the argument that Jews have always been blamed throughout history for any major disruption, major catastrophe uh, that happens in the world. When bad things happen, people always find the Jewish people as a scapegoat. And especially when it comes to economies where Jews have a, a um, people, they are, they are at least known to be or, or, or recognized to be involved in world economies. Um, some people use that as an anti-Semitic comment that we are controlling the global economy. But no matter how you look at it, the people that are in charge of finance around the world are often connected to the Jewish people. And therefore, 
we are going to be specifically targeted if there were to be a global collapse. So this is something that should be a concern as far as the repercussions and anti-Semitism. But not only, I think that also we have to be concerned about how we are going to respond to such a collapse. We are having people from around the globe that are listening in, and uh, I'm sure that everybody is feeling the hurt of the uh, of the inflation that is happening. But if were, were there to be a global collapse of the economy, I believe that everyone should be prepared for that in some way. Now, I, I'm not going to go. This is not a show about emergency preparedness, although I have discussed that before. I think that everybody should have basic necessities at home ready for such a, 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 a uh, an event. They should also be prepared to diversify their their um, their savings to make sure that it's not all in one place. If that's something that's smart to do anyway, and any financial advisor, which I'm not one, would advise you to diversify, but to have all of your money in a stock market, purchasing stocks or bonds, and, and, and having all your 401k and all your retirement accounts in one place, I think is very, very risky today. Again, I'm not a financial advisor, but not diversifying your funds and making sure that Number one, that you have access to different different markets. And number two, that you have the ability to remove those assets if necessary, to liquefy them quickly. That we know from history, even people that know the basic history, economic history of what has happened in, in depressions and collapses in the past, is one of the first things is that there are run on banks. People can't get their money out uh, even if they've saved their entire lives uh, for such an event, they're not going to be able to remove their, their finances when they need them. Make sure that you have them in a way that you can remove them. I'm going to stop with that, although there's a lot to discuss and a lot of things that I would recommend personally. But again, this is not a, a show about finance, just to say that Jews around the world should be specifically concerned about such an event that may occur. Okay, but what what is making you think that there's going to be there this kind of a uh, a collapse? Is there something specific that I'm I'm missing? I'm not. I'm forget you. You say you're not an expert in finance. I'm a total ignoramus in finance, so I don't understand these things at all. So what what is making you think that this is going to happen? So those that are know a little bit about economy uh, in the United States. They understand that it is unsustainable, the, the, uh, the amount of debt that the United States has uh, achieved over the past uh, couple years is so high that there's, there's basically no way that they can get out of it. Um, but in addition to that, I would, if you look at what's going on in China today, and China, again, is the second largest economy uh, on the planet, there is about to be an imminent collapse of the, the uh, housing market in China. Uh, it's, it, I'm not going to go into, again, all the details, but suffice it to say that there is a huge Ponzi uh, scheme that's, that was, uh, was basically supported by the Chinese government. And it is, it is just starting to show the cracks now where this is going to cripple. And as Susan is do it's done, over just to give you some, some statistic here, 70%, speaking about diversification of portfolios, 70% of the wealth in China is invested in the real estate market, which is ridiculous. And all of that investment is, 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 is about to collapse. There are people that are boycotting 
all sorts of companies right now in China that are involved with housing because of, uh, of, the, of, of issues that are going on. There are also um, a lot of people that have invested uh, in real estate. Just to give you, again, I'm just throwing out some numbers here. But in, for example, in the United States, if you wanted to borrow money, there are certain regulations. So if you want to borrow money for a house in, in, in the United States, and let's say you make $50,000 a year, so you can probably borrow up to five times, and that's already pushing it, five times the amount of your yearly salary. So you're talking about you could probably borrow up to around $225,000, $250,000 to a, a mortgage for a house. In, in China, that goes up to staggering amounts of like 20, 30, even in big cities up to 50 times their lending. So that means you can make $50,000 a year and borrow on a house that costs two and a half million dollars. Now, people obviously can't afford to repay those loans. Those are ridiculous. And that's what's happening all over China. It's getting to the point where the Chinese government is starting to send in uh, army troops in order to stop riots that are about to um, start to starting to um, show themselves around the country in China. Again, this is just the beginning. This is the tip of an iceberg that is about to be the, uh, the imminent collapse of the Chinese housing market second largest economy in the world. The United States has its own uh, bucket of issues. And these two together would bring down, would, would, would be a catastrophe that has never been seen. Now, this is interesting, just bringing it back to the, to the Jewish uh, aspect of it. One of the signs of Mashiach is that there will not be a pruta in the shuk, that the, in the marketplace, you, that nobody's going to have any money. And the fact that there is the, uh, the possibility of an imminent collapse of world economics, of world economies, uh, indicates that we may be le leading ourselves to that. This is something that every person should prepare for, and definitely every Jew in the world should prepare for. Okay, all right. Let's uh, let's hope that your uh, your prediction is not going to come true. Let's hope that Jews uh, realize that they have to come home for other reasons, like for example. I'm just looking one thing quickly, sorry. Uh, okay, we have about a minute to go. Just, uh, I don't know if you saw, I was searching for it, I couldn't find it. There was this pop pop singer who played on the, I guess it's the equivalent of America's Got Talent, but here in Israel. And he explained to the judges that he just made Aliyah about two years ago. And they asked, why'd you make Aliyah? And he said, well, I was, in, I was walking down the street in London and... Uh, they, you know, I was I was told by people they pushed me and and my family and my wife and my kids and and they said that we all belong in the gas chambers. So he was a smart Jew and he said, "This is ridiculous. I can't stay here. I want to go. We have to go back back home." And it also reminds me of another another great video that I saw online of a bunch of I think it was actually also in London, but it could have been somewhere else of a of a mass crowd screaming, you know, Jews go home, Jews go home, and like like yeah, we agree with you a hundred percent. That is exactly true. Jews should be going home, and that is definitely the lesson that we should be taking when we see anti-Semitism happening in the world. But again, as we've always said many many times. We don't believe that the reason you should make Aliyah is because of anti-Semitism. It might be a wake-up call, but uh, you know it's really it's it's only a wake-up call. You should be coming to, to to live in Israel for many other good reasons. Okay, we're going to go to a break. Please stick with us. We'll be back in a minute or two. 
Okay, so another announcement that I have is that we are planning a, a an Aliyah Summit, a conference here in in uh, Jerusalem. It's going to happen, I believe, the beginning of September, beginning of next month. Um, probably no one's heard of it yet because we're just in the middle of organizing it right now. Uh, but the idea is to bring together all of the Aliyah initiatives, all the organizations that are involved, more so the, the smaller organizations, because we feel that the larger ones have done a very poor job over the uh, decades in bringing the masses of Jews that need to come home home. So the smaller initiatives that are involved in Aliyah and Aliyah education, we're bring, we want to bring them all together into one room, into one conference room to discuss what we can do in order to get Jews home immediately. And when I say Jews home immediately, I don't mean to have a nefesh benefesh with all due respect flight um, that is going to bring a couple hundred Jews from North America. I'm talking about the, 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 uh, the return of millions of Jews that are now in North America. There are currently the, the largest uh, Jewish population outside of Israel. And the fact that we're just able to bring a few Jews on a plane um, a year is shameful. And I believe it's, uh, like I said, like Rabbi Lithman said, we should come for good reasons. But we believe, many of us believe that we are on the brink of a disaster and something that can be equated to uh, pre-war situation uh, for Jews in Europe. And we feel that we have to do something extreme in order to at least get the message out, right? If you were living in, Rabbi Noah, I think I may have mentioned this last week, Rabbi Noah Weinberg, who is one of the founders of the Kirov movement, of the movement of outreach for, for Jews around the world, he always said that when you meet a Jew in the street and you start to discuss with them uh, and you start to use your, your, your outreach techniques, you should see that Jew as somebody that's about to get on a train to Auschwitz. That, that is literally, a, this is it. This, you have one opportunity to speak to that person and to try to convince them in, in just a couple words and just a couple minutes that they should not get on that train. This is, the, this is the urgency that I believe that we need to have when we're speaking to the Jews of North America and world Jewry, that there is an urgency that it has to happen now. It's not something that can wait. We can't wait for, for a 20-year plan or a 10-year plan or even a five-year plan. It's something that needs to be done immediately, and it's something that has to be done on a huge scale, not on a small scale where you're bringing a couple hundred or thousands, even thousands of Jews. At this rate, this is a, a drop in the bucket. At this rate, it would, take us, it would take us centuries and centuries to get all the Jews back to Israel. This is not something that we believe that we have centuries to, to, to waste. In fact, according to the Talmud, the, the world is only going to last 6,000 years since the creation of the world, uh, as we know it, it's only going to last 6,000 years. And on, during that 6,000-year process, every positive, um, every positive uh, nevuah, every positive prophecy has to uh, unfold. And we, uh, we only have over about 200 years left. We're, we're at the end. We're at the, the end of that process. And uh, therefore, we can't, we can't afford to wait another 1,000 years of, of exile for the Jews to come home, we need to have what needs to happen and needs to happen quickly. So how are we able? We need to get together to discuss how we're able to get that message out. And hopefully the Jews 
of the exile will respond positively to our messages. Okay, so um, definitely, of course, you know, I agree in in theory on what you're saying. The only problem is in terms of that mashal, in terms of that uh, parable of, of Noah Weinberg, you know, you only have a minute, you know, you only have this one opportunity to, to convince him to not go on that train. Um, but there's also the possibility of turning him off from from listening to you and Dafka or specifically making him go on that on that train because he says, well, this guy's this guy's a nutcase. This guy's crazy. So you also have to be very careful how you do it, because if you do it too strong and too uh you know you bringing these doomsday um prophecies um predictions you you might run the risk of turning people off and that's why there has to be a very delicate balance between mentioning the fact that you know we don't know what's what's going on in the world the world is certainly changing and things are you know are happening that we never would have imagined would happen um but at the same time also talk about you know you said you know we don't have a thousand years to waste right we don't have this time to waste to uh, um you know convince all these jews to, because the end of time is coming etc uh, or, or because you know who knows what's going to happen but there also should be like you know we just got through tisha and you know it's just time to end this already you know we don't we don't want to go through another tishbab we want to uh, uh we, we want the redemption we don't understand we don't understand even the slightest what it's going to be like and and you know we're going to kick ourselves for all of eternity once it happens and we'll say like i can't believe i didn't come back earlier i can't believe i didn't do everything in my power to bring this earlier um, because once we're in it, we'll understand how great it will be and what a great world, the whole world will change and how great the world will be. That, that I think, has to be the greatest emphasis to, to make Jews realize that it's time, it's time to come home, it's time to end this exile or do everything in our power to end this exile. Maybe I'll just uh, mention one other thing that uh, really impressed me this week. Um, um, there's this... Uh, podcast called the meaningful people podcast um part of the meaningful minute uh, etc and they interview some very influential and important and great people in, amongst our nation and um this past week they they released their most recent interview with jamie geller now josh we have got to get her i don't know she's probably too big to um to uh, you know, to be on our on our podcast, podcast, but uh, you know, actually, I've already got her scheduled. Oh, really? When I spoke to her, and she said that she would be more than willing to come on the show, and uh, uh, we're just trying nice. to work it out because it, it, the, at cool. least the day the day we used to do the show, she was not available because she has something else regular every week that, right. that time. But now that we switched, right. it, maybe I'll, I'll I'll try again. Right. So, so what impressed me most on that uh, is a beautiful interview. I mean, she's a really very special person. But in terms of, you know, our topic of Aliyah, so she really was, she had it all. She had it all in America. Uh, besides the fact that she became religious, you know, and really gave up a lot um, for her, you know, for her beliefs. That's ama- so amazing. But 
they were very comfortable once they became once she and her husband became from i mean she became from before she met she met her husband anyway but uh from means religious i'm sorry i should translate but um he her husband was the one who wanted to make aliyah he always wanted to make aliyah and he said it from the beginning of their of their dating you know we're making aliyah you know that's i don't go out with girls who don't want to live in israel and when push came to shove it was it was not easy it was really not easy, and but the the most beautiful moment of the interview was was when they asked, you know, so you know, what are your impressions now? You know, what do you think? She said, "Oh my God, like I I, I have only one regret," you know, and everyone's expecting her to say, like, you know, I have a regret that, you know, I didn't do it, I didn't do this, or you know, I don't have this that I used to have in America. My only regret was that I didn't do it sooner. Once you come here and you really experience what it is to live in God's land, you realize it. You get the you get the point. The problem is that there's so many Jews outside the land um, who who haven't experienced the living of living in the land, and they have all these fears and all these ideas of what it's going to be like, and they're scared. But understand that you have to take the plunge. You have to you have to just go for it, and and things will work out. Now that I. I that doesn't mean I'm not a prophet and I'm not guaranteeing anything. There are some people who have a very hard time and it doesn't work out. But if you have the basics, you have a profession and you have the will and the desire and it will work out and it will be beautiful and you'll understand, then you'll understand the difference of being you know, in the exile or being here. And, and maybe I'll mention one more thing. I just came to my mind. I had a conversation with a cousin of mine. It's actually the husband of a second cousin, so it's distant relative, but you know we're somewhat in touch here and there. And he's he's on a visit to Israel, and you know after him telling me all the great things he did, you know he visited this this person, this place, et cetera, et cetera. I said, "No, you know when when are you coming? When when is the time? It's time for you to come already and 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 settle down here." I mean, there's an older couple, they have children, all their children are married and they have grandchildren. And he said, that's the problem. The problem is that none of his children or grandchildren live here. And, you know, when you get to that point, yeah, I mean, I, I can understand. I have grandchildren and I understand that I don't want to, I don't want to be separated from them and, and, and my children. I want to be, I want to live where my children live. But that means that you have to bring them up in a way that they understand that this isn't, that, that they're the diaspora is not where they belong. They belong in Israel so that you don't have this problem. So that you, when you come and, and make Aliyah, they'll be on board. They'll come with you. But of course, at this point, it's it's, it's a very big dilemma. What am I going to do? I mean, I still said, I think you should, you should move here and your kids will come. They'll come visit and... And maybe they'll understand the importance of it, and they'll and they'll move here eventually. Uh, so that I think we have to we have to emphasize these points also to the uh, to the people who we're talking to. Yes, I, I just want to quickly say because we're about to go to break right. that my uh, I, my, I have a ten year old daughter, my baby, and I'm so proud of her. I'm not sure where she got it from, but. When she heard that there was a global campaign of Jews around the world that were going to say psalms, they were going to say Tehillim for the uh, Jews in here in Israel because there were Gaza was shooting missiles over rockets at, at, at Israel. She came to me and she said, Abba, I don't understand why they have to say psalms, say Tehillim for us. We need to say it for them. They needed it a lot more than we needed. And we're going to go to break. <laughs> we'll be right back. Beautiful.
Welcome back to Israel Unplugged. And Josh said a beautiful story right before the break about his daughter who said, you know, why are they selling, saying to him for, for us? We need to say it for them. They're much deeper trouble than we are. Um, and uh, there's certainly truth to that. And I said to Josh, I had, uh, you know, offline, I said, um, off the air, I should say, uh, I said, you know, it's the from the mouth of, mouths of babes, right? It's the children who really get the, get it. So it reminds me of a story when, when uh, my my oldest daughter already was was young, which means I probably only had a few kids at that point. Um, I think she was maybe 10, 11 years old. Uh, so I bought a new tape, a new cassette. It's the same one that Rabbi Gold always talks about. It's the famous story that he tells. But anyway. Um, it was a beautiful song on it um, that everyone was buying the tape because of because of it. It was called Ba'atabanim, Shiru Lamelech. Beautiful song. Till this day, everyone sings it, right? But on the on the cassette, there was also a song called Jerusalem of Gold, and it so beautifully describes how. You know, we want to go home, home. I just want to go home to the city of gold, to a place of old. Uh, please bring me home. Something like that. Okay. I haven't heard it in a long, long time. And I remember I'm, I'm sitting in my car and I'm listening to it and I get so aggravated. I'm like, this song drives me crazy. And my daughter sitting in the back. I, I, I think I might have even asked her. I said, like, you know why this song makes you so so crazy? And she said, of course. She said, so why don't they just come home? Like, what do you mean you're singing to God? He should bring you all. He should bring you home. God has brought us home. God has given us the opportunity. We just have to get on that plane. Right? It's the famous story of the, uh, you know, the helicopter and the boat, right? You know that story? A guy is you know, drowning. There's a big flood. And, he, you know, he goes up to the... Um, he goes up to the top of his house and he says, God, please save, please save me. And then the floodwaters rise and rise. And finally, you know, he can't even stay on the top of the, of the, roo- of the roof. And a boat comes by and uh, they say, come, come, we'll save you. And he says, no, 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 no. God's going to save me. And he prays to God again. And, and, uh, and then the, the waters go up even higher and he goes on to the top of the antenna and, and uh, God, please save me. And then a helicopter drops its ladder and he says, come, come on. And the person says, no, no, I don't need you. God's going to save me. And finally, of course, the person drowns and dies. And he goes up to heaven. He says, God, I had such great faith in you. I, 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 I was waiting for you to save me. And God says to him, who do you think sent that boat? Who do you think sent that helicopter? And that's exactly the times we're living in. Who do you think? You know, you'll be praying your, your eyes, your, your, your heart out. On, on Tisha B'Av, every single day, right? Let our eyes see when you return to Zion, etc., etc. And God is sitting there saying, like, what, what are you saying? I'm doing that. That's exactly what I've been doing the last 150 years. Like, why? When are you going to recognize it? When are you going to understand that it, that it doesn't mean that I'm going to come down, swoop down on on a magic carpet and pick you all up? It means that I'm going to make things happen in the world that is going to make it possible for you to move back to Eretz Israel and to initiate the 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 ultimate redemption. And that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the Jews throughout the world to get that message and understand this point so that we can all uh, benefit 
and all have gula. Like I said a few weeks ago, you know, the issue here is not because we're being superior, we feel superior to Jews outside the land of Israel. It's because we want the Messiah to come. We want the gula, the, the ultimate redemption to to play out and to finish and for for that that means for the temple to be rebuilt and for the messiah to come and the only way it's going to happen or at least the only way it's going to happen in a good way is if jews pick up and move to israel and that way show show god that we really we really want it and then the mashiach will come i believe that very strongly and uh, that's what we're waiting for josh you, you no, with I us think, or I, you, I agree yeah. with you completely yeah. but i i think that that is the goal of uh, you said it was a delicate, uh, a, a delicate uh, decision Balance. as right what what to do as far as when someone uh, you have somebody that you're just have a few minutes to speak to and you don't want to scare them away on one hand but you want to convince them on the other and that when you're talking about world jewelry when you're talking about specifically Jews in North America I don't think that most of them have an understanding a grasp on what Gula is. What what is the whole concept of Gula? They don't understand why we need Gula. We're very we're very comfortable uh, where we're at now. We're we're very comfortable in in the exile. Why do we need to have Gula? Why do we need to have Israel? What is the importance of living here? Most people don't grow up with the understanding of the centrality of Israel. How this is an integral part of being a Jew. Most of them have lived for so long, for so many generations in exile that that has become the norm and for them they don't they just don't understand it so that that whole process on one hand would take an entire uh, revamping of the educational systems uh, on in all of the diaspora which again you're talking about something that could maybe happen over a period of um hundreds of years maybe even decades if they, if they really worked at it you know a generation or two but it's, it's not something that's going to happen in the imminent future. So how are you able to re-educate all of world Jewry that's about the centrality of Israel, about the importance of the redemptive process and how they could be part of it? That is something which we struggle with, which we, we grapple with daily, because on one hand, we don't want to be doomsday uh, predictors, as you say. On the other hand, we understand that the time is running out. And the time is running out for the exile. The exile is about to end. And there are going to be those that decide to stay in the exile and be lost. That is my belief, just like it was back in Egypt, where only 20% made it out of Egypt. And, and the others, the 80%, uh, they didn't make it out. Correct. So likewise, when we have in the future uh, the, the redemption it could be that a large portion of the Jews will just decide to stay. They're, they're, they're comfortable there. And this is what I keep telling Jews that I meet on a regular basis. I say to them that, listen, the, the, there's no, nobody's going to force you to come here. And maybe, maybe anti-Semitism will force you or some other event will force you. But there's not going to mm -hmm. be some divine, uh, divine light that's going to come down and pick you up and, and take you. You are going to have to make that decision. When you decide that there, you have a connection and you want to come, then you'll make it happen. You'll, make, you'll, you'll come. But that is something that has to come from you. And if you don't make that decision, then you won't. There's no, nobody's going to force you to leave. right? If, if you're not going to leave now, then there's no reason to think that when the Messiah comes, all of a sudden you're going to want to get up and move out of your fancy home in, in, in wherever it is in America, in L.A., in the five towns, and you're going to all of a sudden move to Israel. Why, why would that happen all of a sudden? 
the, the point is that there has to be a, a complete revamping of the educational system. I don't have the answer. Again, that's why we are calling this conference to discuss what we can do in order to get this message over. Yes, definitely invite me to this uh, to this conference, please. Make sure that I'm there. Of I'd course. Love, I'd love to give my, uh, my two cents. Um, I think I want to just share with everybody a, a, an idea from the Parsha and uh, that might uh, wrap it up for today. Um, as you know, the Parsha, Parsha Akev has a lot about Eretz, about the land of Israel. In fact, uh, on our uh, group, the, uh, the Ohave Eretz Yisrael, Lovers of Eretz Yisrael WhatsApp group that we're on, uh, someone recently said, like, you know, anybody, anybody who lives, I don't understand how people living outside the land of Israel read the last two parshiot of Etchanan and Akev and don't make Aliyah. Like, they don't realize how central Eretz Yisrael is. It's like almost every other word in the parsha is about the, the beauty and the importance of Eretz Yisrael, especially this week's parsha. Uh, but without getting into all the details and every single mention, that's that's what my book Eretz Yisrael and the Parsha is all about. Um, but one of the ideas is just so profound, so powerful that I love telling it over. And I might have told it over already last year and the year before. And you know what? That's okay. Hopefully there's some new listeners out there and they're going to hear it. So one of the mitzvot that is mentioned in the parsha is the mitzvah birkat hamazon, the blessing over food. After a Jew eats, there is a, there is a biblical obligation to thank God. And the way the rabbis understand it is that there's actually three blessings that are from the Torah that are biblical, and that is we thank, to thank Hashem for the food, to sh- thank Hashem for the land of Israel, and to thank Hashem for Jerusalem, or in our days, to pray to Hashem to bring back Jerusalem, to rebuild Jerusalem. And then there's a fourth blessing, which was added later on. We won't get into that. Um, so, so there's a famous question as to, and we discussed it a few weeks ago when we were rebutting the article by Rabbi Uri Pilachowski, uh, where he makes it sound like it's a simple and obvious fact that the Rambam holds that there's no mitzvah to live in in Israel, and we said very, you know, uh, very, very succinctly without really going into any detail that that's not such an easy say, statement to make. That there are so there's so much literature on that question whether what the Rambam really holds, what Maimonides really holds. So the simple thing is that in his work. Mishnah Torah, he seems very clearly to say, to hold, that there is a mitzvah to live in Israel. But the fact is, and no one can deny it, that he doesn't count it as one of the 613 mitzvot uh, in his book, Sefer HaMitzvot. So many try to figure out why the Rambam, if he really holds it's a mitzvah, why doesn't he count it as one of the mitzvahs? And there's a lot of things the Rambam doesn't count. And, and that's what the job of the commentaries are, is trying to figure out. He obviously had something in mind why he didn't count it. Either it was included in a different mitzvah or for some technical reason it's not considered a mitzvah, but it still, of course, is, is something that we have to do, etc., etc. So... So one of the answers given by Rav Shol Yisraeli, who was the Rosh Yeshiva of the head of the America's Arav Yeshiva, and he was on the Beit Din Hagodol, the great, uh, the great Jewish uh, rabbinic court in Jerusalem, he has the most profound answer. He says, you know what? The Rambam didn't count it as a mitzvah because he already counted the mitzvah of blessing Hashem after 
we finish a meal, blessing God for the food that we eat and, as I pointed out before, and for the land of Israel. He says such a logical and I think irrefutable logical um, uh, point. He says, if there is a mitzvah in the Torah that everyone agrees with, no one can deny. There is a mitzvah in the Torah to thank God for the land of Israel. That's explicit. As the verse says, that one of the things that we thank Hashem in the Birkat Amazon, in the grace after meals, is for the land of Israel. So if there's a mitzvah to thank Hashem for the, for the land, so obviously you have to live in the land. You don't have to, you don't have to count it as a separate mitzvah. It's included under the mitzvah of thanking Hashem for the land of Israel in Birkat Amazon. Because think about it. What kind of thanks will it be if we say to God, you know, oh, thank you, such a beautiful land you gave us. But you know what? I prefer actually to live in Los Angeles. I prefer to live in Teaneck. I prefer to live in the five towns or anywhere else. You fill in the blank, right? Um, that's not true thanks. And therefore, you're not fulfilling that mitzvah. The 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 greatest way and the, and the only way to really show Hashem how much you love this land that he gave he gave you is to take it for yourself is to is to accept the gift that God has given us and come to the land of Israel and make it your own home that's how we really truly give thanks now whether you whether you accept that as the reason why the Rambam didn't count it as a mitzvah or not there are many other Many other answers that are probably better fit nicer into the Rambam, but the point is a point that is undeniable. Next time we say grace after meals, or when we're reading the parsha this this week, and we read about the Birkat Hamazon, remember that there is a, a biblical obligation to thank Hashem for the land of Israel, and the only way to truly show thanks is by actually taking hold of this land and living here and saying thank you to Hashem in action and not just lip service. Josh, anything to add? No, I think I think that we've pretty much said it all. I think that <laughs> um, it is it is necessary to uh, to just get the message out. I think we need to figure out uh, maybe some unique ways that have not been tested and tried in the past things that need to be uh, prepared in order to um, in order to get the message out and in, in ways that have not been tried before. So we obviously have not succeeded in the past in, in doing what was uh, what was necessary. Again, I, I put myself in the same in the same uh, bucket as all the major organizations which I think have failed at this. Um, we, we just have not succeeded. In convincing the majority, and I think that, and, and I wouldn't blame it on the fact that we're being too uh, aggressive, because there are many organizations out there um, that are much less aggressive than we are, and uh, they have not succeeded. And on the other hand, there are many that are more aggressive than than us that that have not succeeded. So <laughs> um, uh, perhaps we have to look at something completely different than we have had in the past, some other <clears throat> way of getting the message out. Um, I have thought in the past of having a tour, uh, a world tour of uh, the end of the exile tour, where we go from community to community, from uh, synagogue to synagogue, and from school to school, speaking 
about just what we, we always speak about every week, about the centrality of Eretz Israel, the importance of coming back home. And uh, we hope that we'll succeed in getting the message out and that people, like I said, will hopefully respond in a positive way to our, to our messages. Thank yes. you so much for joining us. And uh, we will be back next week at the same time. Uh, we thank you. We want to say that we appreciate everybody that listens to us. And we want to encourage you to pass on our words to others that you think may be useful for them. Take care. Right. And- okay. See you next week. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.